Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of the Top DAT Podcast. I'm your Uplift Athletic Trainer, Dr. Brandon Holland, signing on for the Unapologetic AT, Dr. Donita Valentine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please continue to share, like, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at the underscore top underscore DAT. Also on LinkedIn at top dash DAT one. We have an incredible episode. Every now and again, we get our hands on a story that is so phenomenal that we just can't hang on to it. So we had to get this one to you as soon as we could. We have two incredible guests, uh, Mr. Kendrick Ashton and Mr. Steve Cole, are going to talk about a time where uh, Kendrick was uh, an athlete and Mr. Cole, Steve Cole, an athletic trainer, saved his life. So I'm not going to give away any more of the info, but you guys need to hear this. Check it out. All right. First up on center court, we have Dr. Kendrick Ashton, Jr. He is the (laughs) co-founder and co-chief executive officer of the St. James, a leading developer and operator of performance, wellness, and lifestyle brands, experiences, and destinations. Prior to founding the St. James, Mr. Ashton was a founding member and managing director of Perella Weinberg Partners, a boutique financial services firm. Before joining Perella Weinberg, he was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs and Company and gained legal experience at Kravitz Swain and Moore and Watchell Lipton Rosen and Katz. Mr. Ashton received a Juris Doctorate from the University of Chicago Law School, where he was a merit scholar and the Earl Dickerson Public Service Scholar and a Master of Business Administration from the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business, where he was also a Merit Scholar. He earned his Bachelor of Arts from the College of William and Mary. Mr. Ashton Mr. Ashton is a member of the Board of Trustees of the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation, the Board of Trustees of the National Urban League, the Board of Directors of Archbishop John Carroll High School, and the Board of Directors of Bellwether Education Partners and is an emeritus member of the Board of Visitors and Foundation Board of the College of William and Mary. Welcome, Dr. Kendrick F. Ashton. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also, well done, Dr. Valentine. Thank you. Uh, we have an additional guest, um, another special guest in the house, Mr. Steve Cole. So Steve is the CEO of uh, Cole Consulting Services in Williamsburg, Virginia. He earned his undergraduate degree from West Virginia University and a master's degree from University of Virginia. He has over 40 years of experience in healthcare and athletic administration and 35 years um, in, at the collegiate level. So prior to taking over the day-to-day operations for the College of William & Mary uh, Athletics Department as the associate director in 2008, he led uh, the college's sports medicine program for 26 years as a director of sports medicine. He has also served as affiliate clinical site coordinator for Riverside Family Medicine and Residency in Newport News, Virginia, and um, as a clinical instructor for a post-professional athletic training program at Old Dominion University in Norfolk. As the principal agent for Cole Consulting Services Incorporated, Cole works with Numerous athletic programs, medical practices, um, industrial corporations, et cetera, and is approved by the Board of Certification as a provider of continued education programs for athletic trainers. For more than 35 years, he has conducted workshops on sports medicine for high school students, coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapies, EMS personnel, and physicians. 
Notably, he co-developed SMART, the Sideline Management Assessment and Response Techniques, um, and uh, he did workshops for primary care physicians to enhance their sports medicine skills and increase their confidence and confidence as, got to flip the page, that's how long this resume is, as the sideline physicians at sporting events. Cole has written clinical skills curricula for primary care physicians, published several articles relevant to athletic training and healthcare, and um, the administration of healthcare. And he is the annual workshops. Um, he, he's a presenter at annual workshops and meetings for the American Academy of Family Physicians. He does it all, ladies and gentlemen. Really, we could we could go um, probably another twenty minutes just listening to this man's accomplishments. But for the sake of respecting everybody's time, just know that he did a lot of stuff and he's very qualified. Uh, to talk about what we're going to talk about today, and which is mostly experience. So, um, without further ado, everybody, I'd like to do, introduce Mr. Steve Cole. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Hendrick, always glad to see you and join you, and Danita, same. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for being on. Another fun fact about Steve is he's also the president of the Mid Atlantic Athletic Trainers Association. So, absolutely honored to have Steve and Kendrick on the show with us today. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Steve, as you said, it's always a pleasure to be in your presence, even when it's virtual. So, Awesome. Thank you. So, you, you going to tee us up? Or it's, uh, yeah, we're ready. Yeah. Action. Yeah. One, two, three, action. Ready, you set, know, I'm go. a football player. You know, it's like, you know. Set, go. Set, hit. <laughs> <laughs> on two, on two. <laughs> All right, so if no you could, if you could uh, kind of just like set the stage or um, and kind of tell us how the events occurred um, surrounding yeah. your injury um, or your condition, who was involved. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say injury because actually um, the first, uh, this is maybe a little bit of an overstatement, but the first interaction that I remember with Steve is the summer before my freshman year, I came down and, um, you know, wanted to get a jump start on my classmates. I was very, very um, focused on playing, hopefully starting as a true freshman. So I came down early and I stayed with um, two of my dear friends. Um, They were upperclassmen, Terry Hammonds and Troy King, two of the all-time greats in the history of William Mary football program. Um, and I started, I, I was never, I got, I I had one injury when I was in the seventh grade, I broke a bone in my foot when I was in the seventh grade, but for the most part, I've been a fairly healthy kid. I played a ton of sports. I had Osgood Schlatter's. Um, and so I had that and I had a, you know, I broke a bone in my foot, but I was generally, you know, healthy coming through. Um, and then I was working out in the summer and we were working out hard, man. We were going at it and, um, you know, it gets, um, remarkably warm in Williamsburg. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Summertime. Um, so for those who don't know, Williamsburg is, um, hot as hell as they say where I'm from Yeah, in the summertime. (laughs) And so we're working out hard, you know, we're sort of midday workouts twice a day with, uh, with our strength and conditioning coach, coach sour. And I started to have these pains in my knees. Um, and, and I, Steve, I went to see Steve. I was like, you gotta go see Steve Cole, Steve Cole. They, everybody says Steve's entire name. It's not like there are 15 Steve's running around, <laughs> but but when you talk about Steve, you say Steve Cole. We got to go see Steve Cole. Got to go see Steve Cole. 
And Steve checked me out. I said, oh, you're fine. You're fine. You just got a little, you know, whatever. I don't remember what it was. And he started to give me, at least on one of my knees, used to wrap wrap around my knee a little bit and put a little pressure oh, yeah. underneath the kneecap, you know, but before the Osgood Slaughters right mm-hmm. in there. And it kind of knocked it out and I was fine. But that was my first, you know, interaction with Steve and his, um, the speed of his ability to assess. I'm sure he's seen a hundred of these, right? Right. Uh, or a thousand or 15,000, whatever, some big number of them. But I was impressed with how quickly he was able to kind of understand what was going on with me and get something that wasn't, I was worried like, man, am I going to have to have knee surgery? What the hell's going on here? Uh, so he kind of put me in his little wrap and it kind of helped me out and kind of took away the discomfort and I kind of kept training. It was all, all was good. And then um, the spring of my freshman year, I was, it was like the second day of spring, spring ball. And you know, spring ball now is very civilized. It's, you know, it's, very little hitting yeah and it is you know, now limited number of practices and i'm not suggesting that we were completely in the, in the dark ages and the stone ages when i was coming along but it was a it was a much more intense affair of course uh when when i was coming along than it is now and so like the second day we're hitting mm-hmm. and um i am we're in a seven on seven drill full pads and i am um guarding some guy who can't get open and the quarterback, for some reason, throws it to my guy. We're in man, and I'm going to pick this thing off. I'm cutting across the middle. I'm chasing him. I baited the quarterback, and I'm going to pick this thing off, and I'm gone. I'm scoring. And I go, and we're in man, so everybody's supposed to be guarding someone. Right. The strong safety who's in the rep with me gets lost. His name is Drew Wickstead. Put him out there. find Drew Wickstead, (laughs) if you find him, tell him he owes me a wrist. Because Drew was out of place. I love you, Drew. Drew was completely out of place. He got lost. I don't know why the quarterback didn't throw it to his man, because his man was wide ass open. (laughs) Two curse words for me on top of that. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, guys. Wide open. Okay. Drew luckily is right where I'm supposed to go to intercept his pass. My arms are extended. I'm going for the ball. I have it in my hands. Drew runs right into me and tears my wrist up completely. Oh, wow. It's like a, somebody put a shotgun to my wrist and pulls the trigger. That's how it felt. Yeah. It was excruciating. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to have my arm amputated. This is like unbelievably painful right and you know steve is he he just has this humanity about him he understands that when you're when you're playing these sports like you're suffering out there right something happens to you you're you're suffering so his whole disposition unlike some people some people are um in you all's profession i'm not saying everybody but some people are in you all's profession and um they haven't developed the capacity to be composed. Right. They haven't. They haven't uh, learned their Katanji Brown Jackson. You know, composure yes. under fire. A poker right? face. Yes. Poker face. So I'm dying. Okay. This wrist is utterly destroyed, and Steve has the most calm disposition. All right, you're gonna be okay. Calm down, relax. Let me see it. And I've seen him do that thousands of times. Okay. Because you know football is a is a is a tough sport, a and there are a lot a yeah. lot of injuries. I remember I'll just tell one. I'll finish my story, but I'll tell one other story before I finish my story because this kind of speaks to um, both of these stories speak to the gravity um, of um, these injuries for the young people that are experiencing them. 
So um, I come to William and Mary. I decided to go to William and Mary, and I come down. I'm invited down for the spring game. So I come down to the spring game, and one of the guys that hosted me um, or was a part of the group that was hosting me on my visit, Alvin Porch, um, who went on to be a, a great running back in William Mary. He was a um, true freshman. Uh, he was a class ahead of me. So he was a true freshman, his first spring practice. And he was, of course, trying to compete against these great running backs that we had in our program and trying to get reps and trying to play. And in the spring game, he had this unbelievably destructive ankle injury where he his foot got pivot, you know, planted in the, in the turf and his whole body got turned around. He basically destroyed his ankle. Oh, and he ended up coming back from it and having an incredible career, but it was such a devastating injury that I think we all feared that he would never play again. And that's what's going through your mind when Steve is coming up to you and you're laying on the field and you need somebody who is giving you some hope that this thing isn't going to destroy your dreams. Cause we all want to have these great careers. We want to play well. We're going to compete. We're all, we're all thinking about how we can contribute. And when these injuries hit you, it is, um, it's a it's an incredibly painful thing with enormous amounts of uncertainty embedded in it. So anyway, so back to me. Do so I watch Steve deal with Alvin in this kind of you know everybody's family is down. You know he's playing really for the first time, and and I watch Steve deal with Alvin. And then in the spring of my freshman year, I have this this wrist injury, and I really I, I can't believe how painful it is, and I'm really really worried about what's happening. And Steve really took remarkable care of me. Um, and so I ended up having to have my wrist reconstructed. The first reconstruction didn't work. So I ended up playing through my sophomore year, basically with my, you know, with a semi cast on my wrist, my, my sophomore year. And Steve and I worked together on making sure that that was managed that entire season. I had the appropriate wrapping every practice, every game. I got a little extra guard with wrap on top of it. We kind of checked it before and after every game and, um, and then I had to have the second reconstruction in the spring of my sophomore year. And then that dovetailed with the reason that we're, we're actually talking today, which is um, the emergence in the fall of my sophomore year um, with a condition called achalasia, which is uh, remarkably rare, particularly for someone who's 18 or 19 years old and can have devastating effects on someone's health and quality of life, and it certainly did on mine. So um, I'll try to get through this quickly because I stole time talking about these other stories. But um, in the fall of my sophomore year, um, I, in and around October, out of the blue, had this um, excruciatingly painful um, pain in my chest. And um, I thought it was a heart attack, potentially. But, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years old. And, you know, I, I see myself as being remarkably healthy with, with, with some modest exceptions. Right. And um, I have the, this chest pain for about 10 minutes. It feels like the entirety of my sort of internal chest area is in a um, sustained cramp. And... It felt like it was 10 minutes. It may have been five minutes. It may have been three minutes, but it felt like 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there thinking it's going to go away, trying to stretch, trying to move around, trying to get some relief. And it is unabated for this very extended period of time. And then it goes away and nothing, nothing 
happens after that. And I don't mention it to anybody. I think I'm just, you know, kind of cramping up. Um, and, I'm, you know, if it happens again, I'll say something to somebody, but, but nothing happens again. But that's kind of the first sign that something is coming. Um, and so fast forward, I, you know, finished my, my fall, my sophomore year. We had a really solid season as a team. I played great my sophomore year. Um, and I make it, make it through finals. And I'm driving to visit my then girlfriend now wife and i stop at um a burger king i wanted to stop at a mcdonald's but i couldn't find one so i went to burger king okay no 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 shade it was just what, what i was trying to do <laughs> right and i get a breakfast sandwich just really early and i try to eat the sandwich the day before i had three four five whatever however many meals i had totally fine this morning when i'm driving to see my girlfriend it's you know kind of December 17th or 18th, somewhere in there, that pre-kit right between finals and Christmas, I get this breakfast sandwich and I try to swallow it and I can't get it down. And from that point forward until now, I've never had a normal swallowing or eating experience. And that was in 1995. Wow. So um, what proceeded to happen is... I couldn't get any food down at all um, from that mid-December point until, call it, mid-February. And um, all that time, so call it 60 days, I was thinking it would go away, thinking that this must be temporary, thinking some kind of heartburn or something weird going on. And I started to drop weight pretty precipitously because I was regurgitating. When I say I can't get any food down, I was regurgitating everything. And um, so I started to kind of shift my diet towards, you know, soups and noodles and things that were a little oatmeal, things that were lighter because I thought maybe that that stuff would go down easier because I had no idea what was what was actually happening. And I had... um, a bowl of oodles and noodles. I don't know if you guys are oodles and noodles people, but uh, yeah, I'm an oodles um, and noodles connoisseur. You are. You, you <laughs> yes. and I, we share that because I, I, I know how to make every single flavor uh, gourmet level. Yes. And so I, I, I started to rely on my oodles and noodles expertise and had a bowl of noodles that night. And I went to sleep at, you know, I don't know, 11 o'clock or whatever it is. And at around one thirty, I started to aspirate. Oh, because the food was just sitting in my esophagus. And at that point, you know, I started to visibly see the loss of weight. And, you know, we weigh ourselves pretty regularly as, 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 as athletes. And I knew that I was dropping weight. And, um, and it had been about two months since I had been able to get any food down at all. And so I said, I got to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room, and um, the doctors um, at the hospital in Williamsburg, um, you know, ran a battery of tests um, and tried to really understand what was going on. And they concluded that I had some kind of gastrointestinal um, condition and that I needed to see a gastroenterologist immediately. And so I kind of spent overnight in the hospital, and by about, you know, mid-morning, they were ready for me to go to see a gastroenterologist who was literally right across the street from the hospital. I had gone by this gentleman's offices 
you know, 150 times before then and had no idea that there were, you know, doctor suites, like, right across the street. And um, and I'd never heard of the discipline or term gastroenterology or gastroenterologist before um, this um, episode where I went to the emergency room. And so the emergency room doc said, um, you know, we've called Steve Cole, we've called your coaches, we've, we've let everybody – at the college, no, and we've also arranged for you to um, get an endoscopy um, from um, the local leading gastroenterologist, and um, and we're just waiting for the insurance company to um, approve um, the procedure that you're likely to need, which which is called an endoscopy. And so, um, I then had to wait four or five hours as 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 Steve Cole and my mom. Um, articulated to the insurance company how important it was for me to get this procedure. I had Kaiser Permanente Insurance, Mm -hmm. um, which is an HMO service. They're great, um, but they wanted me to come back home to Washington, D.C., and my mother and Steve and and the doctors in Williamsburg felt it was very important to really figure out what was going on with me as quickly as possible and not have me take a three-hour trip back to Washington and wait for an appointment at Kaiser because who knows what's actually happening. And so um, it took about a half a day for um, for them to really um, get Kaiser to bend their rules. Right. And then ultimately I was able to get this endoscopy and I was um, immediately diagnosed with a condition of achalasia. Okay. So achalasia is um, – There are two kinds, but the kind I have is um, uh, it has two dimensions to it. Um, One is that the muscles in your esophagus, um, which in a normal esophagus, um, involuntarily move food from when you swallow past what's called an esophageal sphincter, which is the portion of your GI tract that protects your esophagus from the acids in your stomach, um, it moves food past the sphincter into your stomach. So you, you, the normal esophagus has what's called motility, which is movement, involuntary movement, which is triggered by food going into your esophagus, and the esophagus takes over and moves the food down very carefully, comfortably into your stomach. And with achalasia, that motility disappears. So there's no movement in your esophagus whatsoever. You just have a shaft of sorts. But that would be okay if that was all that was going on with you. You could probably manage through that. The part that makes it devastating is that the sphincter, which is effectively the single doorway into nourishment in your in your system, cramps closed permanently. So it's completely shut, and it's as tight as you could possibly imagine it. So very little gets through that um, sphincter when it's closed. And its purpose is designed that way. It's evolutionarily designed that way, but it's not supposed to cramping permanently I suppose open and close so mine was permanently closed which meant that food that was going into my esophagus was making its way down in a haphazard fashion so not in the controlled fashion that normal um, uh, transitions happen in a normal esophagus and then when it got to the bottom of the sphincter it just sat there and so as I was trying over the 60 plus days to get food in it was piling up in my esophagus, and I would get to the point where I would start to choke, and then I would have to regurgitate. 
And so um, effectively for 60 days and then for some significant period thereafter, I was getting little to no nourishment in my body and I was wilting away. So um, this was not only a threat to my athletic ambitions, this was a, this was a threat to my life. Yeah, it's life threatening. I absolutely. literally um, was dying. And um, so, um, you know, after this diagnosis, we all were trying to figure out how we would manage through this. And, um, you know, I was super focused on not allowing this to beat me, that whatever I had to do to continue to exist uh, in the way that I would envisioned my life being, which was to be a great student, to be a great athlete, to be a service to the community, and to have, you know, a wonderful social life. I wanted to continue to do all those things as well as I could. But um, but when you can't swallow, um, when you can't digest, it, it puts a little bit of a crimp in that vision. So, right. so I needed some help. So, um, you know, I, I found that help in, in our very own Steve Cole, um, who was responsible, um, as you guys said at the outset, for – for a meaningful number of decades for managing what I thought was a world-class sports medicine and athletic training, um, uh, you know, service at the college of William Mary. And, um, you know, this was not, um, uh, you know, a torn ACL or, um, you know, a sprained ankle or, you know, a pulled hamstring, this was a very, very rare, um, very difficult to detect um, um, condition. Right. Um, and I'd be interested to know if Steve has encountered any, any other athletes with it. I know that our dear friend Matt Kelschner had a young man who had the condition maybe 10 or 15 years after me. So maybe it's Matt Kelschner's fault. Um, but just an inside joke with me and Steve. Matt yeah. Kelschner recu- recruited me at the College of William Mary and, and is, uh, was and is a great football coach and a great human being. Um, but um, it was very rare. So it's like, what, what is going on here? And how do we keep a kid alive first? And then how do we think about, you know, keeping this kid on the football field? And, um, you know, we sort of went to work to try to figure out how to manage this thing because, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't swallow anything. Wow. So, um, you know, we kind of started out with, you know, um, you know, lots of insure and trying to hydrate a lot, and you know, Steve and 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 the food service team kind of set up this this you know f- you know we have training table. Training table is 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 a weird term for the food service that athletes get. Right. And so I had um, they put together box lunches for me and I had like unlimited box lunches and I had I had to pick up a box lunch, you know, four or five of them every morning. And I would carry food around with me all day long because I just had to just get volume reps in, you know. Right. Just try to eat, try to eat, try to eat, try to eat, try to eat. Maybe something would go down. And, 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 and one out of ten times I would get something into my stomach. I had to force it in. It was a battle. It was a fight. So this was a war that we were fighting against against my own body, against this condition. And um, and we kind of just monitored and refined and reflected and 
were really working on, you know, paying attention to what was working and what wasn't working. And over time, what we figured out was that the only things that would get into my stomach were things that were um, uh, had enough consistency and volume that could be forced into my stomach. So things that didn't clot, things that were soupy and loose, okay. that stuff would just sit in my esophagus so and it couldn't get forced. Of what you were thinking. The opposite of what mm-hmm. we originally yeah. thought. We thought, oh, maybe we could slide this. We could slide this fluid past this esophagus, and this, the esophagus wasn't having any of that. It was yeah, yeah. shut down, closed, um, and uh, it was a stopper. Uh, and so we figured out that donuts and pancakes and Oreo cookies, things that clotted well, could get into a little bit of a ball, and then I could projectile it past this, this sphincter. Um, but I still had tons of regurgitation, and mm-hmm. so... You know, um, it, it was just an it was an everyday battle. I got down to about 145 pounds, so I played. You know, I played kind of 175. Maybe on a great day, I'd get up to 180. You know, preseason, but mm-hmm. I was in that 170 to 180 range, and I got down to 145. Steve, you're laughing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what what were you thinking um, this whole time while we we're trying while you were trying to figure out what was going on with Kendrick? What were your thoughts? Well, the first thing is, you know, I feel fortunate that, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I knew Kendrick and, you know, the experience with the wrist where working and problem solving through that, you know, you, so I, 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 I knew the patient and I knew uh, Kendrick was not a, um, a, a, a symptom, symptom amplifier type patient. Right. Uh, uh, Kendrick was a patient that you could collaborate with, would give you good, solid information uh, with which to work with. You know, I, I had never seen this condition before. I have not had anybody with this condition since. But, you know, I, I learned early in my, um, you know, healthcare provider career that, um, you know, just because you don't understand something you know, just because you can't connect the dots in, in, in the symptoms, that doesn't mean you've discounted. And so you continue to, to search for um, solutions. Um, you know, I'm one of those, again, in, as a good healthcare provider, what do you do? You, you, you assess, you do an assessment, you apply resources. And you come back the next day or two and you reassess and see what was the result of that. And so, as Kendrick said, initially, it's kind of like the thought process is, well, if the thinner it is, the better it should be to get, you know, maybe it'll seep in there. But it wasn't working. And so then you have to step back and say, well, you know, we've got to continue to uh, explore what is working. And that's where, you know, Kendrick was a great patient in providing that feedback of, you know, this seemed to have gone down. And and so that helped. But, you know, it's the old thing. Again, I tell people, you know, just it, it's not so much, you know, just because you don't know what it is, you don't discount it. You got to continue to, 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 Try to figure things out and learn from it, and continue to reevaluate uh, 
the situation. That's a very good point. I think um, a lot of like what Kendrick mentioned, like it wasn't a torn ACL, it wasn't a strained hamstring. We have protocols for that. We spend spend lots and lots of time, <laughs> you know, going through clinicals and going over how to treat those types of injuries. Right. It's the complex ones um, that really challenge us and really, you know, you know, you know, show like who's going to rise to the occasion. And yeah. and, I'll, and you know, I I haven't had the benefit of you know having tons of of sports medicine professionals in my life, but what I'll say um, about Steve, um, who's really the primary person that I um, that I've had you know meaningful interaction with around this is that um, if it were not for his intelligence and his thoughtfulness and his diligence and his resourcefulness and importantly his compassion um, I don't know that I'd be sitting here with you guys Um, he really I'm sure every sports medicine person believes that they care about the people that they are entrusted to care for. Um, but I can tell you um, without a shadow of a doubt that Steve loves the people that he's serving and he really cared about what was happening with me as a human being, as an individual. And, you know, as a student athlete, um, even at a place like William & Mary, which tries to do things the right way, you know, you know, your coaches care about you, but they will sit you on that bench if you aren't <laughs> racking up your production points. Right, right. right? They, got, they got a job, too. They got a job, and they're relying on a 19-year-old to be consistent and, and do what they're coached to do. Right. Um, and if you're not doing that, I love you, but you're going to sit down. Thank you very much. And um, living in that reality can make you um, a professional, which means you understand that you're dealing with someone who has to make tough decisions and those tough decisions can go in a direction that you don't like and you got to live with it. Right. And so it creates some distance in these relationships. But when it comes to your health, you don't want any of that infecting how you're being treated. Right. And Steve um, just was remarkably caring alongside being diligent and disciplined and really holding student athletes accountable. Right. Cause you can't get better if you aren't compliant. Right. He loved us and that was powerful. So, um, I'm, I'm just enormous, enormously grateful for him. Um, because, um, you know, he did it in a way that I admired, you know, if I were doing it, I'd want to do it the way Steve was doing it. Um, and that includes, you know, these coaches are calling up Steve, and you know, Steve had a lot of respect, so he probably didn't get too much abuse. But they're like, you know, don't be keeping these guys on the sideline too long, Steve. Like, <laughs> get these dudes back on the field. And he really protected us, right? I mean, yeah. he was really – and so um, so anyway, so I, I just, I just want to say, um, you know, for, um, you know, history's sake, that Steve is one of the greats, and um, I love him, and I, I really – genuinely believe i owe my life to him because um this was crazy <laughs> it was crazy yeah, that, that uh, moment so. you spoke about where um how you explained that what was going on with your esophagus that food was just piling up yeah. and 
that was a very critical moment where Steve and your mom stepped in and said, no, he's not driving three hours back to D.C. Yeah, yeah. He's going to go across the street and see this gastroenterologist. Yeah. And that, you know, standing up and advocating for your child, advocating for your patient, that's huge. And that's making that tough decision. Like, no, we're not going to wait. Yeah. You know, because that you might not have made it. I might not have made it. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Who knew? And I'll say, you know, my mom is... Um, she she loves her her son. And right. She will go to war for her son. But, you know, my mom's not William and Mary. Right. And so, you know, you have my mom advocating and then you have Steve and bringing the imprimatur of William and Mary. And God forbid that Kaiser Permanente denies, you know, one little procedure for a kid down at William and Mary. And they force him to drive back three hours and he, he doesn't make it. I mean, I think that made a big difference. So it, it certainly. Um, it, it made a huge difference and, 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 um, you know, um, I get emotional thinking about it. I, yeah. I can't imagine like, you know, have thinking about that drive, yeah. like, you know, yeah. three hours in yeah. that, in that state. So yeah. that alone is just yeah huge. Yeah. So Steve, did you have a lot of challenges, uh, trying to convince the people around you all that this was a big deal or, or that it was something that was legitimate or serious? Um, I, I would, I would say no, didn't have challenges, uh, convincing people. Um, you know, one of the things and, you know, to, to elaborate what, what Kendrick said, you know, Jimmy Laycock, the head football coach during that time, um, you know, ran a very, uh, you know, basically his mantra was do the right thing. Yep. And he'd say, you know, you're going to have, when you make a decision, you got to make a decision. You're going to know what the right thing is and what the easy thing is. And he says, do the right thing. And so he, he always, uh, you know, you know, said, we're, we're going to do things the right way. Um, never questioned. I mean, I met with coach Laycock every day, one-on-one, and I will tell you, um, that's not a that that was not uh, those were not easy days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> As Kendrick laughs, yeah. But but um, you know uh, he had respect for what uh, my role was, as I had respect for his role. Um, and if anything, um, you know when when we were trying to sort through things, he he kept the pressure on me about we have got to find answers yeah. here. Right. Um, you know, and and um, you know, I think in the days of the playing days, a lot of players would say, you know, uh, you know, he didn't really care about us, but uh, I can guarantee he did. Yeah. And he just had that culture. Yeah. Of. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the right thing, and we're gonna do the right thing, you know, for our for our players. You know, the other thing is I I felt, you know, real fortunate, especially at that time back in the mid '90s. I mean, we were a I mean, there was only one hospital in town here. Yeah. I mean, we were a small medical community that that in in uh, William and Mary was a big part of the community, and so uh, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is is a big part of my success was it's about relationship. It's about the relationship as a healthcare provider and athletic trainer that you build with your coaches and with your, your local medical community where, you know, uh, they're going to have respect for your opinion and what, what you say as well. 
Um, so it, it um, but again, it was one of those, we did not have answers. We were, this was a lot of trial yeah. and error. Yeah. Um, and, and I just feel fortunate that it, it came out positive for Kendrick. No doubt. No doubt. And, 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 you know, trial and error, you know, this, you guys know this cause you're, you, you guys are scientists, but trial and error requires, um, a lot of data collection and a lot of data evaluation right? and a lot of conversation and collaboration. And so this was an ongoing dialogue. I think we've touched on it a yep. little bit. But this was an ongoing dialogue where we're, you know, we're weighing and we're trying different things and we're taking in and we're calling. And, you know, I think just having, you know, one of the, th- the great things that Steve did was, you know, as I mentioned, having this training table kind of thing set up because he had the idea that, hey, man, you got to eat like you got to eat, 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 eat like you got to do that. And and then the other things were just constantly measuring what was going on with me. So I was, you know, weighing myself three times a day. And that was a major barometer amongst other things that we were doing um, to make sure that things weren't going completely off the off the off the rails. So um, there was just this constant dialogue around how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? But, um, you know, what was important to me in addition to all that was, you know, you guys won't be surprised to hear that this is is playing. Right. And not only was Steve critical in keeping me alive and helping helping to come up with a solution that created some stability, but he was then able to give confidence to my coaches that I wasn't going to be um, half the player that I was before. Now, I had to demonstrate that on the field Absolutely. every day, but he was able to say to them, this thing is stabilized. And we got to let this kid play. And, you know, that was amongst the most important dimensions of all this, if not the most important, because my identity at that time was entirely wrapped up in being a football player at William and Mary. Absolutely. It was nothing I was more proud of and more committed to than that. And so for Steve to understand that about his clients his patients mm-hmm. he was in the care of and to respect it and to honor it when he could um was was critical um and made all the difference for me and and i think you know an important element there and and kendrick can elaborate on this again this was an extreme it's an extremely rare condition even now yeah mm-hmm. but then I mean, it's like, we're, What's going we're on? like, what the hell? <laughs> and, and, you know, so we, we were kind of stabilized and we got him back on the field and playing. And then he has the opportunity to have surgery to correct it. Yeah. But there's a caveat to that. Yeah. Where you can have the surgery, but you can't play. Yeah. If you have this. And so then... What you have to do as a healthcare provider, some people, they just go, well, you know, your health is more important than another season of football. I mean, it's going into a senior year. Yeah. But the reality is, is we're stabilized. Yeah. What's another year going to be? 
And, right. and again, it's that collaborative. And, and as a healthcare provider, you know, you just don't, you, you have to weigh all the options. And I mean, you just heard Kendrick say at that point in his life, playing football and his identity with that, that was so tied together. Yeah. And, and it could have been so, so we have a surgery, but what's the, what's the, what's the negative impact of that on the whole person? Yeah. Right. And, and we can't lose sight of that. I think one of the things you said for, for people who are listening, who haven't been athletes or who are competitive, I should say, is that it sounds like common sense that you would say like your, your health is more important than one more season. And I think everybody, especially the people sit at this table, we've all been in a place where you're like, you know what? I take a chance. Like I will, <laughs> I will. I know. I certainly Let's I, find out. <laughs> I've been that person where, um, like yeah. when I was told I couldn't play ball anymore, um, I have nerve damage that I was told nerve and vascular damage. I might lose my arm. Yeah. And still, like the first thing in my head was, okay, what do I have to do to make it through the season? Right. It wasn't like how do we fix it? Where do I go? It was like, oh no. I got 10 more games. Yeah. And uh, so what do we do? So um, to have someone, a healthcare provider, who understands that aspect, the yeah. competitive aspect of your your your, your patients is, is critical. Yeah. And um, kudos to you, Steve, for, for having it. Um, really, I mean, because it takes guts as a healthcare provider to know that you, you're on a razor's edge, especially with a condition like echolasia, right? Yeah. It's, um, right. There's a there's no margin of error really between having a person healthy enough to play college football or literally being alive. Right. Like there's no you can't make any mistakes. Like so. Yeah. So to, to have someone who's who's willing to support an athlete as they make that decision and, and let the athlete be like the you know the person who makes the decision is is, is really tough sometimes because you really want to make a lot of times we want to err on the side of caution. Yeah, and and um, which is nothing wrong with it, right? But being able to include the athlete and the athlete's parents, and just treat the whole person rather than the condition. I think you said you hit the nail on the head right there. Right, right. Yeah, so how and do then, you feel, Kendrick, when when Steve said like he's stable, we need to let him play? Like, how did you feel when like? Oh, I wasn't surprised. I mean, because <laughs> we have been, you know, we've been working on this stuff, and um, you know, I was stable. Right. And so I'm, you know, the, the level of suffering that I was enduring, I was, you know, I was I was completely um, prepared to go through the rest of my life, however much time I had, because when you have this condition, it it, it can precipitate all kinds of other secondary effects. So I I had kind of re- resigned myself to the fact that things were going to be shorter than I may have thought they would be before I this this condition had emerged and i was i was up for the suffering whatever it was i had i had to i had to um accept that um this was a part of my life and i had to endure it i was not going to allow it to cripple me in any way so as steve said what's another season of the, i mean i'm 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 getting manual dilations you know um uh which for those who don't know it's you know you put a vice grip in your mouth to keep your mouth wide open and then they take um very long tube think four you know four foot tubes of varying um you know widths and they take a thinner one and they put it 
into your throat all the way through your esophageal sphincter to stretch it open first, and they expand the width of those tubes uh, until they get to a nice, very thick level uh, to really stretch it out, and they stick it down your throat. Um, You're wide awake, wide awake. They stick it down your throat, and they leave it in there for a little bit while you, um, you know, while you choke on it to get that sphincter nice and stretched open. So I was doing that every 90 days amongst, uh, you know, and I was regurgitating regularly. I couldn't have a normal meal. I sit down with my, with my friends to eat and, um, you know, uh, you know, by this time, maybe five times out of 10, I'd have to get up to regurgitate. I'd resign myself to all that. Um, and not just for this next season, but for the rest of my life. Right. And so, um, you're going to tell me that I can't play to get rid of this? No, I mean, that's crazy. In my head, like, I'm up for this suffering. Let's do, let's keep going. Um, and so um, there's no way that that I was going to let go. And I wasn't surprised that Steve said, yeah, of course, you know, we're, we, we've, we, until something changes, like, you've been at 155 pounds consistently now for, you know, 18 months or whatever it's been. You're getting food down. You're not regurgitating as much. Your vitals, you know, you're, you're, you know, everything, you're not dehydrated. Like things are working as much as one could expect them to given, you know, what we know now. Right. And so, of course, you can play your senior season. Um, that's, that's what I expected. I'd have been shocked if he said anything different. <laughs> but I was appreciative. I was, I was grateful. And, um, and, and, and I had a great year. I had a awesome. great year. Excellent. So, so what happened next? You finished up. Did so, so, so as Steve said, I got this call out of the blue. I mean, I, as, as I said, I was like, okay, this is my life, right? Mm-hmm. This is my life, and I, I'm, I've got to figure out all kinds of hacks to deal with this. Okay, well, how am I going to have dinner, um, you know, a business dinner when I'm sort of out in the professional world and I have this condition? I'm, I'm, I'm considering all of these kinds of things and trying to prepare myself to deal with them. Um, so I, 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 I was getting prepared for life or I was, I was in constant evolution around managing achalasia, I guess is a better way to say it. And I get this call out of the blue saying, Hey, um, I, this is a gastroenterologist at Kaiser Permanente who, who, who had taken up my case, um, along with the gastroenterologist in, in Williamsburg. He called me up and said, Hey, I just left Germany. There's this doctor, uh, American doctor who's developed this, um, you know, really cutting edge procedure. Um, to provide extraordinary relief to people just like you. Now, as you know, people your age never get this condition. You're like literally one in a million. So um, he's excited about your case because most people in the states that have this condition are 70 or 75, and they've got a life expectancy post this procedure of 5, 10, 15 years max. You've got potentially another 70 years He's super excited to be able to provide you with this re- with this release relief, and you'll probably be one of the first ten people in the country to get the procedure, and you'll certainly be the only person under the age of sixty to get it. You're like the first person under the age of sixty to get it, and I was like, "That's amazing! Tell me more about it. I learn more about it, et cetera, et cetera." It's like, when 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 can it happen? Oh, we can get you in next week. He'll be in Washington over the next two weeks. We can get you in next week. Great. Okay. Well, how um, how quickly is the recovery period? Because I get this call somewhere in the mid June 
window. And so I'm getting the procedure early July, and then I show up for preseason camp the first week of August. Right. Right? So how long is this recovery? Now, I don't know anything. I'm thinking two weeks, you know, a month max I'll be back. So get it early July. Maybe I miss a week of preseason camp, and I'm ready to rock and roll. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, It's 12 to 16 weeks, and we recommend that you not play. I'm like, oh. <laughs> strike two or strike three right yeah. there. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, it's, you know, obviously we get Steve involved, my mom involved, and I get, you know, everybody's sort of weighing in. And, 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 and um, so we don't do it, as Steve, as Steve said. Um, and so we, we, we schedule the procedure for um, after the holidays of my senior year. So, Christmas, New Year's. The first week after New Year's, I get the procedure. And um, quickly, the procedure um, does two things. One, it takes the esophageal sphincter muscle. So you guys heard me describe it earlier, but it's, 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 it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. It took the muscle, which was permanently cramped closed, and they shaved the center of it out, off, removed it to create a permanent opening. So now food can just go into my esophagus. And then the second piece of it is they take the upper lobe. So you have two lobes. You guys are well-trained, so you know this. But for those that are listening that don't, there are two lobes to your stomach, and they're attached to your spleen. They took the upper lobe, detached it from my spleen, wrapped it behind the esophageal sphincter opening so that when food slides into that upper lobe, it fills up and provides a little bit of a closure on the esophageal opening. Okay. So that's what they did. I have um, six laparoscopic incisions in my midsection um, to um, have proof of this procedure. <laughs> and it provided immediate and significant relief. Um, and so, you know, in, you know, May of the prior year, I would have told you, man, I hope I make it to 50 with this thing because, you know, there's a high incidence or high likelihood of esophageal cancer. You know, there are all kinds of, um, you know, um, nourishment related um, issues that emerge because you can't get stuff into your system. Right. Um, you know, I went from that to, um, you know, not completely ridding myself of all the issues, but um, significantly, uh, reducing uh, the problems associated with this condition. And, um, you know, I've still managed through it. Um, I eat, you know, I ate, um, you know, I had a lot of food, as I, as I mentioned, that clotted together right. uh, as I was managing through this early earlier. And that was, that, that turned out to be a requirement. And there's a healthy way to do that. And I probably would have gotten there. But, <laughs> but, I, but I wasn't there at the time. And, uh, and now, um, you know, with, you know, post the procedure, um, you know, uh, there are some things that have to be managed around, not the least of which is acid reflux. And so that's pushed me to be probably significantly healthier on the diet front than I would have been ordinarily. So, um, but, but, but the, 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 um, the main takeaway is that I had this at the time, state-of-the-art procedure that provided enormous relief. And so I still have to flush food down because mm-hmm. the motility, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the motility is non-existent. 
Um, so I don't have anything that's helping me get the food down. I still, you'll never see me without a bottle of water. Never. Right. Not, not ever. Um, and, and, you know, I've had to learn not to get angry at my wife and children because I'll have a bottle of water with me and they're not thinking about the fact that I have achalasia. Like, it's like, you know, my wife was with me through this whole thing, right. by the way. But they're not thinking about the fact that I, I have to have this water because if I don't, I may have to choke up, regurgitate something. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, hey, can I have your water? And I, I've had to train myself not to get <laughs> yeah. pissed at them because they're asking for, they're basically asking for like my, you know, my cane or yeah. you know, my oxygen, my, you know, my nasal cannula, whatever people need, they're asking for that. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I, I, I suffer through it and give it to them. But anyway, so I say that to say there are, I, I still have to manage it, but it is, um, it's a totally different universe than actually having, uh, you know, not having had the procedure. I can't describe to you how horrible <laughs> it was. I mean, imagine regurgitating all day, every day. Yeah, I can't. Maybe yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I can't. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a. For those who can't see, I got a little bit of a weight problem. Like I can't wait to eat. Like I love to eat. Like I. And um, so when I was listening to the story the first time, I was just imagining. Um, not it's not like food is my happy place, but like in our family, that's how we we greet each other when we haven't seen each other for a long time or when we have big family get-togethers um food is is like this that's the central that's the that's the that's the centerpiece that's yeah. where everyone comes to and that's yeah. like a cultural thing yeah. yeah so um i can imagine how life-changing it was yeah it, it, it robs you you're completely robbed of that it's I, gone I, i'm just entirely like, i made the decision to like to become vegan when i was in my 20s mm-hmm. and just like that, what you said, the cultural thing. My family's from like the deep south, South Carolina. They're like, what's yeah. wrong with her? Like, yeah. But, uh, you know, they're always offering me something. I'm like, no, thank you. You yeah. know, and it's like they look at me like, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So I can't imagine. Yeah. Can't, no. Yeah. No. No. Food is not your happy place when you have achalasia. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. man, food. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, we, we appreciate, um, the opportunity to share the story with, with your audience and with you guys. And, you know, I just, as I said earlier, you want to be on the record, you know, Steve has heard me say this, you know, a lot of times over the last, you know, 30 years, um, ish. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just incredibly grateful for him. And I hope that, um, you know, the sports medicine, athletic training, and other healthcare leaders out there, um, you know, understand his example and, um, you know, model how he's, you know, led his life, not just his professional life, but his life, um, uh, cause it's made an enormous difference for me. So yeah, thank absolutely. you, Steve. Well, Kendrick does very kind you 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 humble me and and honor me with those words um but uh, again it's 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 people like you that made me a better healthcare provider um and and i'm indebted to you for that thank you so thank you and 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 it's the value too of of 
you know, being able to maintain relationships. You yeah. know, it isn't yeah. just about four or five years being an athlete at the College of William and Mary. It's yeah. about, you know, we're all, we're all in with, you know, what 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 we're doing here at the college and and what we're doing in our lives. So, yeah. but thank you very much for that. Thank you. So. Uh, Steve, I know you got to go soon, but uh, could you say a few words before you leave about the the importance of really being a staunch advocate for your patients? Well, and again, that's where, as the athletic trainer, um, it, it's about first of all relationship building with your patients. It's about relationship building with with your coaches, with your administrators, um, and a lot of times, as the athletic trainer, you, you know, you feel like you're you're sitting out there alone on an island um, by yourself. But you got to always, you know, what what's the most important thing? And it's the, you know, the mantra in medicine, you know, do no harm uh, in athletic training. I think we we take it, you know, we got to take it another step and 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 we have to be the advocate for our patient. Um, because I know, you, you know, working in the collegiate setting and now back working in the secondary school setting, um, the patient's. They, they don't know what's wrong with them, and they're coming to you and, and putting their trust in you. Um, and, and so you've, you've got to advocate. And, and I'll tell you, some of the greatest joys are, you know, I mean, I'm now taking care of, of, of student-athletes who are children of, of student-athletes I've taken care of in the past. And that's an incredible uh, that's an incredible honor when, when, you know, now you're taking care of their their kids just like you took care of them. Right. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you for your time, and I'm I'm excited. That was a great story, and it's a great episode, and I'm incredibly grateful for the both of you for for sharing your time and and your story and your energy with us. Well, I'm just I'm just glad I was able to be here from. From from the Jimmy Laycock football complex and overlooking Cary Field, where you know I can I can I can hear hear the the, the voices of of past accomplishments of Kendrick Ashton on the field there. That's right, that's right. Let me tell you, there's nothing better than having the public uh, address announcer at the game say your name after you make a play. It's it's awesome. It's a great feeling, it's right? Awesome. <laughs> and, and, so you know, awesome. Have, I can hear it too, coach Steve. London come in as a special guest who was an assistant coach here. Yes. You know, he's the head football coach here now, but he was an assistant coach here during uh, Kendrick's playing days. That's right. That's right. So. Coach London has me to thank for his ascendance <laughs> in the coaching ranks. <laughs> he can I, thank I me later. Share that with him. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Uh, I bet you that so. Drew character who Drew Wickstead, he's yeah. a lovely human being. I bet I bet he's a second child though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's probably a second child. That's right. I am not, as people know, people who know me will um painfully say that I'm definitely not a second child, which I, I take as a compliment, but I think they mean it as an offense. <laughs> but Drew, my dear classmate, my dear teammate, I love you and you know when you're out of place, these things happen. So don't be out of place. 
Yeah. There you go. We're going to make sure you get the link to this episode so you can send it to him. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. So, Steve, before you go, could you just uh, tell us about any cool things that you have coming up and where we can find you on the social media aspect side of things? Uh, well, I'm 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 pretty dark on social media. <laughs> so, no, I try to I, I try to fly under the radar there. Um, you know the uh, next next week I'm out in Austin, Texas, at the American Medical Society of Sports Medicine to uh, teach some workshops to physicians, and then uh, you know in uh, May twelfth uh, through the fifteenth. Uh, I'll be in in Charlotte, North Carolina, for the Mid Atlantic Athletic Trainers Association annual meeting and presenting some workshops. And we'll have the opportunity to be with you and Brandon. And and I look forward to hearing your presentations down there uh, as well. So uh, that that's kind of where what's on the immediate docket for me. Awesome. Awesome. And. Uh, yeah. So this is actually our first podcast that we've recorded uh, in person. We've always been virtual. Um, of course, Steve, we have you remotely, but um, we tried this before. We had some technical difficulties, so it's actually round two. But we were sitting inside of an incredible facility called the St. James. And uh, this is, Kendrick, this is your baby. Uh, can you tell us about it? Sure. So, um you know, the St. James is uh, an outgrowth of some of the experiences that we discussed today and, and some of um, the experiences you could imagine that I had um, coming along. And it's a sports, wellness, and entertainment platform. Um, and where we are today is one element of it, a significant element of it, which is a 20-acre um, campus with a nearly half a million square foot uh, sports and entertainment venue that's got everything you could possibly imagine uh, from a performance, competition, training, wellness, um, and active entertainment uh, perspective. So um, you can check us out at thesaintjames.com um, and on social at the St. James uh, across all the platforms. Um, but uh, I could go on for you know, quite a bit describing um, all the different activities and spaces and opportunities to become uh, the best of of yourself um, here at the St. James. Um, and maybe we'll do that in another session. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back. And, and ladies and gentlemen, he, he said everything. You have everything you can imagine. And it sounded kind of modest when he said it. But trust me when I tell you, everything is here. So whatever your sport or activity is, whatever your goal is with your health or your fitness, they have it here. Or and if you can't wait to eat, they also have <laughs> They also here. have a really great restaurant, <laughs> yeah. too, which I'm going to visit. Yeah. I intentionally skipped breakfast to save some calories so I can get down there and get me one of those yeah. pieces. Food is fuel, as we learn, at least in this podcast, right? So, All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again next week. Be sure to like, listen, and share uh, this podcast. For, follow us on social media at the underscore top underscore D-A-T. And... Um, and let us know what you think. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, I'm your Uplift Athletic Trainer, Dr. Brandon Holland, reminding you that the difference between a bad day and a good day is your outlook. Change your attitude, change your life. And I am the unapologetic AT, Dr. Donita Valentine, and I'm reminding you that you're doing this all for nothing if you don't stand up for something. Take all right, everybody. everybody. We will see you next Tuesday. Peace. Thank you. Andrew, Thanks, Steve.
Great to all see right. you. All right, get to your get to your races. All right, all right, good. all right. Thank you so much. Great job. Steve. Thank you, Steve. That was Thank great. Yep. Oh man, you Can guys we... together are magic. Yeah. Really, it's good. <laughs> that was awesome. All right.